0: and welcome to yet another episode of the brew hoop podcast back again this time it's it's adam paris co-managing editor of brewhoop.com i'm joined once again by riley feldman contributor to brewhoop.com and jumping in this time to take over for greg who's who's sitting this one out is is the brew hoop periscope president um aficionado the man who greets you after all those playoff games it's 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 Kyle. How are you doing, Kyle?
1: I'm doing well. I was gonna say you can add the one that chugs Kool-Aid and bangs his head on the table.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might, yeah, you might know him as the um as the the disgruntled Kool-Aid man. Um, so we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get this one going. How are you guys how are you guys doing? We're kind of in the dog days of summer here. Uh I'm about to go to Spain, so I'm looking forward to that. Trying to kick this podcast out before I forget about bucks for two weeks. Um, anything else big going on in your guys' lives?
2: I'm ready to dissect Pat Connaughton until the cows come home.
0: (laughs) Aren't, aren't we all nothing more riveting than a, than a late July signing. Um, You know, the one thing that is actually riveting about Connaughton is that it seemed to be someone that people were generally excited about. I mean, last year, you know, the kind of guys that we were signing late at this time were, you know, Jason Terry um, on our, we also have, you know, two different two ways who are lining up last year at this time, we, had Bronson Koenig being uh, unceremoniously dismissed um, from the Bucks roster after that delicious PR move by them. Um, but, you know, we have a couple of different arrivals now. So we, the Bucks have signed Trayvon Duvall to a two-way contract, Jalen Morris to a two-way contract, and they just announced – yesterday that Travis Trice and, and Brandon McCoy from this, that you might recognize from the summer league squad, you'll probably recognize Travis Trice. Brandon McCoy wasn't as much of a starring feature, but they'll both make their way back at least for training camp. But as Riley alluded to, I think the biggest signing that we have to talk about is is this Pat Connaughton signing, uh, first reported by Sham Sharania. Um, it's supposed to be a two-year deal with at least the first year guaranteed, um, basically what sounded like just right right above the minimum. Um, so you know, Riley, what did you think when you first saw this you know, signing and report come across the wire?
2: Uh, So pleased, obviously. Um, First things first, I want to give a fond farewell to the Jet. I'm hoping, praying that this means that he's not coming back. Not that he wasn't like a good locker room guy or anything, but I was just tired of like relying on Jason Terry for any sort of meaningful play whatsoever. So theoretically, hopefully uh, Pat coming in will mean that Jet is on his way out. But um, no, I think the Pat pickup is interesting insofar as he's just like another sign that's the way that these signings are being made there's like a philosophy behind them, and you know we could talk about whether it's bud's philosophy but a lot of it is three points centric um i mean kind of get into the roster construction as a whole later on but i saw that dean maniat our own dean uh he tweeted a couple i want to say like when the news broke out that um from the roster remaining or the guys on the roster still there were on the roster last season, um, with above a 40% three point attempt rate, were just Tony Snell, Della Vidova, and Sterling Brown. And just in this, you know, offseason alone, we've gotten De Vincenzo, who was college, Connington now, Elise Ovan Lopez. So I think Connington is interesting insofar as he fits kind of within that general trend of this is going to be a totally different way that the team is going to try to play, at least theoretically. Um and, you know, whether or not he'll be helpful on, like, the defensive end or, you know, if he's just going to have, like, spot minutes or whether he's going to have to compete with DiVincenzo for minutes, we're going to have to see. But he's just an interesting kind of tool that replaces something that we probably didn't need anymore in Jason Terry, and we'll see where it goes from there.
0: Yeah, and just to give a little more background on, on Connaughton, so, you know, he's he spent his prior three seasons with Portland, you know, really just played spot minutes in his, his first two First two seasons in the in the league, 143 minutes his rookie year, 316 his second. Last year was really his first extended time out there. Played all 82 games for the Trailblazers, averaged around 18 minutes a game. Uh shot 35.2% from three. Uh if you average out how many attempts he had per 36 minutes, he had about 5.1, like Riley alluded to as well. His three-point percent a three-point attempt rate was rather high, 53.8%. So he really is being brought in to be Uh, Once again, another gunner on this team. And and Riley was talking about this earlier, but Kyle, how do you think Connaughton seems to be fitting into this uh, summer rebuilding philosophy that seems to really be built around what Bud was building in Atlanta and now is grafted onto this Milwaukee roster as best he can?
1: I think the biggest thing is he realizes that the best way to utilize Giannis is to have players that can shoot the ball around him. Um, Not necessarily in terms of, just like making their own plays and shooting off the dribble, but just can they sit in the corner and hit a three from there? And I think the toughest part to gauge last year with Jason Kidd was shooting was a foreign concept to him, and the only shooter that he really had on the floor at times was Chris Middleton, who didn't shoot threes. So I think you're seeing that with Brooke Lopez, who shot, who increased his three-point attempt rate last year. You see with sova who's more of a spot-up three-point shooter at the four. You see it now with... Connaughton coming in, who, yeah, like you said, 5.1 attempts per 36, which is pretty great to see. And then that's also, you have Dante DiVincenzo, you have Tony Snell, Sterling Brown. So those are the kind of guys that I think is going to want to put around Giannis. The only thing I'm slightly concerned about with Connaughton is, I don't know, in terms of competition with minutes at the two, how much he's really going to get because you still have Snell. You have Dante. Middleton could play it, but it's not ideal. Uh, certainly Brown could play it. And now you have another player and it's not like Connington really someone that can switch off. But I think we're just seeing that Budenholzer knows Giannis's best strength is having shooters around the space off the floor so Giannis can do whatever he wants.
0: Yeah. And I think you you got into the part that I was going to touch on next, which which was how the two guard lineup kind of shakes out. And this is probably a discussion <clears throat> that warrants a longer talk on all of our parts later on, but I'm really curious to see where Connaughton fits in. But I, th- I think at the very least, it's nice to have someone who seems like he absolutely fits within the mold that you're looking for, right? And so the, one of the biggest things that is important about how this roster seems to look now is that if you think about all these guys as being shooters who seem like ideal fits around Giannis, I, I think those, those rising tides are going to lift all boats in some respects. So the bottom of the roster isn't filled with guys who are, essentially flotsam and, and can't do much at all, you know, like R- Rashad Vaughn, um, you know, a couple of those people who were singing at the end of the roster last year, um, you know, we, you know, Brandon Jennings and, you know, apparent, you know, Brandon Jennings guarantee gate is, is, is today uh, August 1st that got moved after the initial report that his contract was guaranteed. It turned out that it actually got moved August 1st, presumably. So the bucks could make a bunch of these moves that they've made over the past month. You know, one would guess that he's going to be jettisoned, but um, so, and, you know, even just replacing, a backup point guard like that, who's kind of just taking up a spot with a guy who at the very least seems to fit in exactly with what you want, a guy who's going to chuck the ball, uh, a guy who's going to be able to, to put it up quick release, all that kind of stuff. That's precisely what you want to have on this Bucks roster surrounding Giannis. You know, one of the, one of the things I'm a little, a uh, little concerned about is the fact that, you know, he, he put up decent numbers in college in terms of, in terms of shooting, you know, he ended his last year at Notre Dame, Notre Dame. I'm just pulling it up here. Um, you know, he shot 42.3% from three, you know, he got better every year, 34.2%, 37.8, percent 37.8%, then 42.3%. Those totals were relatively, you know, kind of small, 120, then 154, 201, then 220. Last year was really his first, only chance where he had actually shot a lot of threes in the big leagues um but still i mean he only had 210 attempts and um he had only had 54 in the two years combined so i, I still think there's a a little to be said that we're not totally sure how great of a shooter this guy is i mean 34.2 is percent is is okay and it's worth guarding but you also know that that's his only skill so he's certainly not the kind of guy who's going to be able to create off the dribble or garner a whole lot of attention, close attention from defenders. So you're really going to have to rely on Giannis to be able to make it the space, which I think we all think he can. But you also have to know that some of these players are relatively limited in their other skill sets. So what other deficiencies do you think there might be with Connaughton, Riley?
2: Well, I think kind of what you touched upon right there is the fact that his one skill is shooting. And I'm not going to stand here and claim to have any sort of clue how he is on the defense event. Um, mm. <laughs> because I'm going to be honest, I didn't watch a lot of Portland Trail Blazers basketball last year. So I can't really say one way or the other. But, you know, if he's decent on defense, then that should be okay. But I, I, I guess I am concerned. And it might work out insofar as he may not get that much in the way of minutes, anyhow, with how many two guards or, you know, pseudo two guards are already on the roster. But, um, you're right that he just doesn't do anything besides shoot, which is fine. And, you know, there's a commodity for that. And he makes them at a decent enough rate to, you know, make that worthwhile. But he doesn't really rebound all that much. He's not much of a facilitator. Um, I mean, looking at his steal percentage and his block percentage, nothing is too crazy there. His turnover rate's a little high. His usage is low. So that's good. He kind of fits in in that regard as well. I'm not sure if he's Tony Snell low, but, um, I don't know. He's just a very one dimensional player, which is fine. And like pretty much what you're looking for as an end of the bench guy that you get on close, uh, slightly above the minimum. Um, But I think if we go into the season expecting him to like become a facilitator or become, you know, a regular feature of the rotation, that's probably not the right expectation. So I think if we lower expectations and understand that he doesn't do a lot besides this one skill, um, that should kind of help adjust our you know our expectations of what he's going to be essentially
0: yeah for sure and i I think obviously he's a guy who's getting slightly above the minimum so we shouldn't expect him to be much more than filling in a spot role obviously the part that gets a that might get a little interesting when it comes to the rotation is the fact that tony snell is also a guy who's making you know 10 million dollars he's a guy who has obviously had issues with his confidence before will Connaughton be a guy who's making just above the minimum does a lot of the same things, maybe has less defensive skills, but like you said, I, I have very little idea about his actual defensive potential. If you're looking at his usage rate, it is above Tony Snell's, but I mean, God, no, it's almost, it's really difficult to have a usage rate as low as Tony Snell's. Uh, so, you know, looking at just those two specific players, Kyle, both Pat Connaughton and then Tony Snell, how do you see those two sort of comparing contrasting and contrasting and figuring out how they might fit in Uh, with this next year, thinking about both their salary and then also, um, you know, their mindsets and and the skill sets that they offer.
1: I think the biggest thing, and the weird thing with Connickton was, is last year he shot 35% per 36 from three, which is pretty low for someone that's supposed to be a gunner. Mm -hmm. And especially when he shot in the corner, it was only 25%, which is really, really low for what's supposed to be the easiest shot in basketball. So I'm, curious to see if that's going to be something that reverts to the mean or if that's just normal and i think how he compares to snell is i he just looks like someone that's going to shoot it when he has the ball while we saw a lot of times with snell is he had a chance to take a shot but he either took a dribble and tried going to the hoop or he gave the ball away and just passed it up to someone else and how much of that was on the offense i don't think we'll find out and i think that's going to be the biggest thing is if budenholzer can just have Snell catch and shoot without any hesitation. And even if Tony Snell doesn't shoot, you know, 40, 42, 43%, if he's still shooting 37%, just that confidence, just the ability to get the shot off. Because he does, like, Snell has a pretty good trigger. So it's not like he's like a Vadova or even Brogdon where it takes a while for him to take his shot and release it. So I think the biggest thing I'm going to look for is how much of Snell's confidence gets regained and how much does content play? Cause if he even shows average ability and shooting, I think it's for how much he's getting paid, it's going to be a pretty good deal.
2: And if I could just jump in there as well, I would say in terms of comparing the two guys, obviously Tony's getting paid a lot more. I would Say that probably means that Tony, in terms of like if you wanted to move on from him, that's probably not going to happen. But Conanton, he's got you know a two-year deal. Second year is you know unguaranteed or not guaranteed for however much or non-guaranteed for however much. Um, so I think he could even maybe be a trade trip, trade chip if you know a couple other two guards, whether it be Dante or Tony or whatever the rotation ends up being working out as. Um, he could probably be moved on. So that kind of has a value all its own as well if you uh, if you look at it in that perspective.
0: Yeah, and I think that's important. We've talked before about the importance of Milwaukee trying to stack on players that we view more as assets. I mean, Jason Terrietta, just above the minimum veterans, minimum contract, isn't really worthwhile to many teams at all outside of Milwaukee. Clearly, they valued his leadership and and that kind of stuff, and his relationship with Jason Kidd probably played a small part in that. But I think you're right to look at Connaughton as, as a smart asset to pick up, someone who... Who shoots well. And, and Kyle, you brought up that interesting point of his, his shooting percentage from the corners being relatively weak. And he's actually a guy who doesn't shoot that much from the corners for someone who has, you know, the reputation as a gunner. He does a lot more kind of above the break al- along the wing. So you can certainly see him slotting in as a guy who maybe be a, a, a Tony Snell light. He does that. You know, how Giannis always does that, that play with Tony Snell, where he does the dribble handoff and Turns his, his the pass as he does it into it into a screen at the same time with his massive wingspan. So, as someone like Conaton who can shoot from the wing, you could certainly see him slotting into that role as well. Um, so, you know, anything else about Conaton that you guys find intriguing? Uh, I, you know, he, he's. I think we've covered a lot of it. He just seems like the kind of guy who was like we've seen so far for a lot of this summer over the past month. Pretty, I would say honestly, since the Sova signing just another savvy pickup that people are relatively in favor of.
1: I guess the one thing I'm relieved is last year when there was that giant competition in training camp and preseason on that 50th roster spot and the bucks pretty much didn't keep Gerald green and went for Deandre Liggins. And that just pissed off so many people hopefully this year that we avoid that situation and that way content, even if he is just an end of the bench guy, at least it's someone that we don't have to look on another team, see him get a couple shots and be like, why did the bucks let him go? So that'll be a relief.
0: Yeah. Also, hopefully they won't publicly shame the team that had them in training camp and then every single team didn't do anything for like four months, and but he was still hold a big grudge against Milwaukee. Do you guys remember that? When Gerald <laughs> Green called out the Bucks? That, was, that just seemed ridiculous to me that they, he, wasn't, he wasn't mad at every other team for not doing something. Yeah, that um, was like
2: a really random like December evening where like it just came across the yeah. Twitter timeline that uh, Gerald Green was talking some mad trash about Milwaukee or at least the organization. I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, glad he got his shots in. Uh, last thing I'll say about Connaughton, Portland's point differential last year, this is per cleaning the glass. So, you know, per 100 possessions, offensive minus the other opponents per 100 possessions. Um, it was 2.1 overall for as a team. When Pat Connaughton was on the floor, team had 2.6. So contributed to winning basketball, you could say in terms of a team concept. In that respect, even with his, his relatively limited skill set, we all know shooting is incredibly valuable, particularly to this Milwaukee team. So it seems like he'll fit in well. You know, the other guys that they picked up on two-way contracts, and these are obviously a lot more tenuous. We've seen Milwaukee work with these two-way contracts. I wouldn't say any of them that they've picked up have been contributing in any meaningful way. Sadly, Marshall Plumley probably contributed the most last year, right, in that one game when he had a couple big rebounds and and that kind of stuff. It's kind of sad that he might have been
1: first, the 1st first, in Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was how I was at that game. I think I must've blocked that out of my memory. That's probably why. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Marshall Plumlee and Xavier Munford, looks like they're on their way coming into Milwaukee now, or uh, is it, is it Trayvon or Trevin Duvall? I don't want to mess up the name.
2: not sure if we have an idea one way or the other.
0: Okay. Well, so we're going to go with uh Trevin Duvall highly lauded recruit out of Duke. He was a top pretty, pretty much a top five recruit in the class. Uh, so he has a really interesting, really interesting physical makeup. So he's around six three with a, a six eight and a half wingspan. Some people measured it around six uh, ten, but regardless, he has the kind of length and athleticism that a lot of people want from their point guards nowadays. I I think you could probably get make him a little akin to Eric Bledsoe in that respect. I don't know if if anyone's watched. He has his big name. The thing that gave him you know his his namesake last year against. In, as part of Duke, was when he had this huge dunk against UNC. That reminded me a lot more of some of the dunks that Dennis Smith has had, where he dry beats his defender, drives into the lane, vaults off his his feet, and goes for a huge slam. So clearly, he has the athleticism, he has the so- prototypical size that you want out of the guy. But there's obviously a reason that he fell and wound up not getting drafted. Uh, he, you know, lapsed at times defensively, and a lot of this stuff is uh, coming from previous. Uh, either Draft Express or the Stepien profiles. I'm basing a lot of it off of that because I clearly didn't watch much Duke last year. Um, but a lot of his skills, if you watch just briefly in Summer League, which he spent with Houston, he had one game where he scored around, scored 20 points, which was kind of his breakout game, but he didn't, you know, a lot of his points seemed more in transition. He didn't have a whole lot where he was killing guys off the dribble. There were a couple, couple plays where he took his Indiana defender off the dribble and got into the lane and found his way to the, to the who, but I, uh, you know, at the very least though, this seems like a kind of guy who's totally worth a fly, worth a flyer. I mean, this is like what you should spend your two-week contracts on is a guy with high pedigree with the potential and frame to fit into what you want to see out of a guy. And so what do you think Riley, you know, first impressions of, of Trevin Duvall?
2: I think it's a really cool pickup for, especially from the herd's perspective, because, you know, last year they had Monford, who was like, you know, he's involved with team USA. So they kind of had that going, but, um, the team or the herd now will get a player who's 19. Like I said, I think this is exactly what a two-way contract should be used for. You know, essentially the fringe guy who might have been undrafted, but is just you know might sort of one day kind of get to an NBA level. Um, in terms of skills, but I think it's a really great pickup. He's uh, he. I think he led the ACC last year in assists, and he was like uh, fifth overall in steals or something along those lines. So he clearly has shown the ability to, you know, do point guardy things on both ends of the floor. The issue is he can't hit the broadside of a barn for the life of him from three. And, uh, that kind of can see continue in summer league. I think he only shot like 33% from three or something like that. Um, but it, it, seems like it should be promising whether or not he ever actually works out is an open question but especially for the bucks uh where you only have eric bledsoe delhi and then you know whoever else is a potential point guard if one of those guys goes down with injury or you need somebody kind of just you know doldrums of the season to fill in at point guard for a couple of nights you can't ask for much better than what they got in uh duval
0: so i just found the MB- real quick the nba pronunciation guide from the draft it's trayvon duval so okay.
2: Thinking no, you now,
0: correct everything we said before. A really quick—I'll just say this Some of his stat lines, because I know you mentioned the fact that he's a rather horrific shooter. One hundred on one hundred and seven three-point attempts last year at Duke, a rather ghastly, twenty-nine percent. On even less free throw attempts, eighty-nine. He had fifty-nine point six percent. Kind of interesting for a guy with his his level of, of athleticism, and, and the Stepan talks about his his impressive handle and his ability to. Shake guys rather quickly that he didn't have that many free throw attempts. You know, you would think that a guy with his with his skill and speed and athleticism could be able to draw contact more often. But he's also working in a Duke construct that probably hindered him in in several different ways. You know, I'm not sure how much you you, I know Duke played zone last year, and they obviously had a lot of other studs, whether it was Marvin Bagley or or Wendell Carter. So do you think there's a chance that he may have just been marginalized, Kyle, and, and didn't get a chance to show everything that he had?
1: I think so. Just because you look at that Duke team, and yeah, you mentioned Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter, Grayson Allen was still there. So they had very talented players. And especially when you have Bagley and Carter, you all, I mean, all you have to really do is run a pick and roll, get close off the hoop, dump it off to one of those two guys, and they'll pretty much go to score every time. Or, you know, you still have Grayson Allen, who was the leader of that team, who was, you know, the guy since his freshman year when he absolutely crushed my heart against Wisconsin. But I think that had a significant factor in it. Plus, it's not like—I mean, playing a zone never really helps showcase your talents. And, if anything, hides your skill set. So, yeah, I think there was a big portion of those three players that I mentioned possibly being a roadblock in Trayvon Duvall being, you know, the top point guard recruit that he was in his class. Yeah, go ahead, Riley.
2: I was just gonna say, doesn't it seem weird though? I mean, you know, 19 year old kid, he has this pedigree. You know, he's a semi okay facilitator. You know, he, he's
0: 19.9, just so you know.
2: Okay, sorry. So it's almost 20. We're right on. Happy <laughs> birthday, Trayvon. Happy birthday ahead of time. Um, But it seems odd to me that he didn't even get like a late second rounder for any of the teams. Um, So I don't know if there's something else like that went on within the draft process or what the deal was, but I don't know. I just think it's even with maybe that kind of apprehension, it seems like the perfect buy low right now. And then if he works out, then maybe you have a real cheap point guard that you could have for the future. Um, But no, it's, it's just a weird situation that he was available in my opinion. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. Well, and I, I read something about how him during their, you know, he tweeted out some big dunk of his big North Carolina dunk or something during a game. And I I was just reading like a a, a Duke write up on him. He wound up losing his starting spot at one point during the year. So, I I mean, clearly there's probably some issues there and I I can't, I can't blame the guy, you know, being a top five recruit coming in and being marginalized on a team that's full of, full of studs has to be hard for him to have to take a back seat to all those guys. So there's probably some stuff between the ears that probably led him to falling down to that level. And, you know, he also had a really high turnover rate, 21.0% turnover rate. That's really high. Just reading some other stuff off the step and Four for eighteen from the long mid-range. Not that we want a guy shooting the long mid-range, but also if you watch his shot, it looks like his off his offhand that's just steadying the ball. It seems like when he shoots it, it looks like his his offhand is just like rifled off of the ball in a really odd fashion his shot looks complete completely broken so that's something that the buck staff will certainly have to fix up and and help repair but i i think you're totally right that it still feels so strange that a guy with his pedigree his measurables someone who was basically going you know toe-to-toe with with colin sexton i was reading the old 2017 draft express report r.i.p before we lost them but you know, he w- he was going right against him at, at Nike Hoop Summit, trying to face off against Colin Sexton. And they talked about how he has like a lot of potential defensively. And I think that would be the main thing is that Kyle talked about this as well. It's not like the zone does a good job of showing how a 6-3 point guard with 6-9 skills is going to be able to lock someone down in the backcourt. If the, if anything, they're going to be able to gamble in passing lanes. And I think if, if I was a college kid and I had those measurables, I would wind up gambling too much or I'd fall asleep or I wouldn't do a good job of remaining engaged. And I know that's something that Bud really wants to stress in the defensive system is that he needs his players to be engaged. And so if he's, if him and the herd staff that are clearly going to fall in line with him are, are able to get this guy engaged as a, as a defensive menace who can lock people down with his, with his, Measurables, I think that could be the way that he could find his way onto this roster first and foremost. And that's a tough ask for any rookie. You know, usually their defense is is pretty poor, but that stuff's certainly going to come into place well, well before his shot, in my opinion. So if if that stuff is able to get up to snuff, then I I think he has a possibility to actually make potential. And with Xavier Munford out, he's essentially filling that that deep backup point guard spot that Munford got and never really found his way into making any meaningful contributions to the Bucks team. Um, you know, anything else that you guys have on Trayvon Duvall that you find intriguing? I, I think he's probably, he's probably out of all of the two way guys that we've signed so far. He's the one that I've been most uh, ex- ex- as excited as I could get about a
1: two way guy. I think with him being as young as he is, there's still time to hopefully fix that jump shot. So it goes from, can't hit the broad side of the barn. To maybe he can at least hit something in the corner, and if he can even just hit corner threes, I think he can make his way onto the NBA roster. And with the athleticism, skill set that he has, I mean, if he can either shoot or play make on the offensive end, I think it's going to be worth the gamble for
2: the Bucks. Hopefully, he lights it up against some G League scrubs and uh, earns himself a nice contract.
0: Yeah, that would be awesome. Hopefully. Hoping the best for Trayvon Duvall, and then the other guy that they signed was Jalen Morris, who who spent some time in in Erie, the Erie BayHawks last year with with Bud Staff and everything. So he's made his way over here. Only played in six games with Atlanta, you know didn't really didn't really flash a whole lot. He had a, a 27 or a 28 point game that I was watching in the G League earlier, uh, where he showed he showed some decent stuff. The kind of stuff that makes me excited about him is you know he's. He's a wing-sized guy. He's six-five, um, so he's definitely the. It fills in the the bud mold of a of a wing who's rather unheralded who who has a chance to to make an impact if they can mold him into the kind of player that they want. He has he has pretty decent bounce off the floor. A lot of his plays that I was watching in the G League, he had some impressive dunks. Not that he was leaping off the court, but he found a way to get up to the hoop really quickly. And uh, I was just reading on this. Atlanta Hawks five things to know about Jalen Morris his last season his first two NBA games he entered from the bench and had to guard Victor Oladipo and Kevin Durant so uh, I think that just illustrates the fact that Bud has an idea of what he wants from guys that are around Jalen Morris's size and that also makes me excited about what Bud is going to expect from other people like that you know a guy a guy like Sterling Brown who has a lot more pedigree surrounding him than than Morris but he clearly expects a lot from him and wants to test him right away. You know, Eddie, any thoughts at all on Morris at the very least, his, his size and how he fits into this philosophy that we've already discussed, Riley?
2: Um, not really. When I was going through the, uh, I did the same thing as everybody else did. I'm assuming it just kind of like looked at either YouTube highlight videos or like the various uh, little blurbs on like hawks.com or whatever. And the like main thing that jumped out was that he's a really focused guy on defense. I was like, really, that's, that's all he can really give me. He's like, he's really good defensively in the G league, which maybe he is, but if that's going to be your calling card and all you're able to do is, you know, six appearances for a Atlanta Hawks team that was just tanking their butts off last year. I don't know. I'm not like expecting anything from him. It kind of seems like a little bit of a nepotism move. That's, um, is it Longstaff? Is that the new assistant coach? He was the yeah. Bayhawks coach, yeah. Um, you know, maybe a guy who he feels comfortable with as, like, a cornerstone, a building block for the herd, and maybe in an extreme circumstance bring him up. But we already have so many, like, wings. Uh, on, or Sorry, we don't have that many wings. But I, I just can't imagine him making that much of an impact, especially if his calling card is just, like, defense every once in a while so I'm not expecting a lot it's a lot less impressive than the uh Trayvon Duval uh pickup but we'll see
0: agreed yeah well and I you know I know you're ripping on the only pl- NBA player ever from the D2 Malloy College in Ooh. uh New York so you're gonna have some angry fans up there but at the very least I you know I don't expect much from him but it it still makes me feel good inside that this is like the type of two-way player that they're going after, right? A guy who's who's six, five, who's a, who's a wing and we can at least dream that maybe he has like some sort of potential to fit in because it's that's, this is such a coveted spot. So I appreciate that they're at least making me feel better about some of these signings by signing people who at least fit a prototype that I prefer.
2: I'm just going to say per 36 numbers. In the NBA, ten mm. point three points, five point nine rebounds, huge steal. Good for the Bucks. Okay, yeah, he said sarcastically. Because <laughs> <laughs> he played like whatever, like total.
0: Uh, all right. Well, the last two little notes, obviously, that we mentioned at the top, where Travis Trice and Brandon McCoy will be joining this team. It's like for for training camp. Travis Trice has been a, a summer league staple for the Bucks the last couple of years. Helped. Help lead them to victory in, in the summer league, help them get that that long, long coveted second win uh, with some with some clutch shooting. So, you know, I don't expect I don't expect either of those guys to make the roster, but just some ending notes there. So
1: but you know, I will say if I have to hear anyone ask where's Christian Wood, I might have to just jump off a bridge.
0: Hey, speaking of Christian Wood, he <laughs> made plenty of appearances in Riley's fantastic article on brewhoop.com today assessing uh, wow. out what the what the center rotation might look like for the bucks next year so i'm going to hand it over to him and to to lead us on this discussion of of what his uh, disgustingly deep dives into these these couple of centers on the roster uh, turned out
2: That was a hell of a transition right there. That's what we call a transition in the biz. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so like you were saying at the top of the podcast, Adam, we're in the dog days of summer right now, unfortunately. And because of that, uh, we have plenty of time on our free hand or plenty of free time on our ID and to take a look at what maybe Mike Budenholzer and uh, the coaching staff might end up doing in terms of doling out minutes for the center rotation. Um, when I went through and put together the article, I just assumed that the three main guys are going to end up being Brooke Lopez, Thonmaker and John Henson. Um, and before everybody gets mad in the comments, yes, maybe Tyler Zeller might be kept on because his guarantee date is until like January, I think. And yes, maybe, uh, Giannis at the five should have been considered more, but just strictly looking at those three guys as you know, the main three centers on the roster I kind of wanted to weigh each of them, see what their pros and cons were and get an idea for what I would prefer that the team do. And kind of going through, it seems apparent to me that it all kind of comes down to what exactly, what kind of system coach, Bud is going to put into place. I think it's obvious, like we discussed that it's going to be pretty three point heavy and if that's going to be the case, I kind of ended up with the conclusion that relying on Brooke Lopez as your starting center um, and then Thon Maker as your backup is probably the best option both for the now and for the future for a number of different reasons um, and mostly revolved around Brooke being established and fitting within the way that he's kind of changed his style of play. Um, so that's pretty straightforward. And then secondarily for Thon, more importantly, I would say this is kind of his make or break season. Um, that's goes without saying going into his third season, uh, first two years, pretty disappointing playoffs. He's had moments, but Von maker is almost like a much less realized version of what Brooke Lopez is now. Like, you know, Brooke Lopez can shoot from three. He doesn't really rebound all that much. Um, he's an offensive juggernaut, um, etc. et, cetera, et cetera. So it, for me, it felt, and we can kind of get into it a little bit as well, but it felt like if you're going to have to bench anybody, John Henson, who is totally happy go lucky and like had an interview about the fact that he thought they, uh, the team needed an upgrade at size uh, or in <laughs> size at the five, which was totally weird because he just like gave away his, you know, his own spot on the roster, but whatever Um I can't imagine him getting too mad. And in terms of like scheme and long-term short-term goals, it just made sense to me given what each of the three guys can do that it should go Brooke Thon and then John for occasional minutes. So we can kind of dive into what you guys think should be the rotation, but that's kind of setting the board for the conversation.
0: What, uh, what are your immediate reactions to that, Kyle?
1: I, I think the biggest thing is with having Brooke on the team, it gives the Bucks a different dimension You know, when you go against a bigger center like Rudy Gobert or, you know, Al Horford, Joel Embiid, you can at least have Brook there to absorb some of the punishment that they can deal. And he can still, I mean, yeah, he hasn't rebounded as well, but he's also been further away from the rim, especially on offense, than normal. Um, I don't know what they're going to do about Zeller just because, on the one hand, you don't need him at this point with, you know, Thon and Henson as your other centers. But... You know, it's not like Brooke Lopez is their durable player, or even John Henson, as we saw last year, he had a couple of injuries that kept him out for weeks on end. And Don Maker being generally a disappointment, you know, it wouldn't hurt to have Zeller there on the roster. But at the same time, you know, do we saw the Bucks almost going four centers, and that was just a recipe for disaster. So I think on the one hand, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes up, assuming Lopez and Henson stay healthy. I don't think Zeller's going to be around much longer, but then again, these are two players that history-wise don't have the best health.
2: Well, can I can I just jump in and ask you guys? Yeah, I think, you know, between Brooke and John, those two guys are pretty established as to what they are. I mean, obviously Brooke has had this really big transformation from being like a really interior focused center to now being somebody who spends a lot of his time on the perimeter. But um, what kind of role would you envision for Thon? Should you know he ride the pine if he's not gonna Be successful? Should he be getting development minutes? Should he be starting? Like, where do how do you guys see Thon working out for the you know ideally for this season? For
0: me, i I think it's important to determine this year what you have with Thon. I I think they're they're certainly going to pick up his fourth year option. I would be blown away if they didn't. But I think it's really important that Milwaukee determines what their center rotation is going to be. Going forward, is Thonmaker the kind of guy who can fit into Bud's system? Is he and you know, maybe some people will say, well, you should give him more than you know, more than just one year to acclimate to everything. But I, I think it's important that Milwaukee figures out what they have in Thonmaker this year, first and foremost. And I know we probably had this similar refrain last year before the season started, but if they are going to determine what they want this roster to look like under coach bud for the years ahead. I think coach bud needs to figure out if Thon's the kind of guy that he wants in there. If Thon has the potential to fit within his defensive system, if Thon can be a kind of guy who can come in and is he going to be the kind of guy who can play 25 minutes, which is a lot what a lot of what basically what Dwayne Dedman did last year. He played 24.9 minutes on Bud's team, Or is he going to be the kind of guy who can at most play 10 minutes? I, I think, it's, it's vital that Thon gets the type of minutes, and that's why I, I agree with your assertion that John Henson should probably probably take the, the biggest backseat to all of this, if only because we know the most about him and while well, he is solid and in his own way, I think it's important that Milwaukee has an instructive learning year to determine whether center and, and Thon Maker is something they absolutely need to, to covet in the years ahead.
2: And I think what's interesting about the Brooke versus Thon debate, like who starts and it might sound a little crazy thinking that, you know, suggesting that maybe Brooke shouldn't be the starter. But, you know, Brooke has his usage rate has been, you know, relatively high, like 20s, mid 20s. I think there was a couple of years where he was up in the 30s when he was dominating with the Nets. But even last year where he had like a really reduced role with Los Angeles, his usage rate was still like mid 20s. I want to say like 23% or something along those lines. So, you know, with the starting lineup with Chris and Giannis and probably Eric, um, you have Tony Snell. If you leave him there, he's not using a lot of, of the possessions, but is Brooke going to be as effective if he's not getting that many touches or is he more effective? Maybe if you lead him as like, you know, the leader of the bench unit, and then he can kind of mix in with the starters as the game goes on. But I think that's also an interesting question for how do you balance those two guys, especially since, like I was saying, they have similar-ish games, but Brook is a little more realized version of Thon.
1: I guess what I would like to see from Thon is whether he starts or maybe just give him that stint off the bench and just see what he can do. We saw in the Boston series, you know, he just brings in energy. How much of that energy can be turned into a positive is going to be something that yeah everyone in Milwaukee is going to need to figure out. But it, it wouldn't hurt just to give him a run out, see how he is, if he's just hacking everyone all over the place, okay, probably shouldn't play him. But if he's, you know, making an impact, contesting at the rim, hits a couple shots, you might as well just keep rolling with it. And then I, I think that's gonna be the biggest thing is test on early to see if he can get into a rhythm. And, you know, if that rhythm turns into something positive, keep him on. If not, you still have Henson where you know you have a known quantity, you don't have to give him, you know, twenty-five minutes you can give them you know 10 or 15 and i'll be okay for the mocky bucks
0: yeah i think you know one of the things about thought th- the thumb maker versus is brooke lopez I, I i also i mean i agree with what you the conclusion that you came to in the article riley which is that Brook lopez should probably start I, I think you're right though it's hard to determine where his role is maximized because i actually i i can envision him his role being best with with bench units, where a guy who can absolutely kind of create a little a little offense on his own, which I think has been a bugaboo of Milwaukee bench units for, I think certainly last year, Michael Beasley alleviated some of those issues. But I think Brooke Lopez brings a certain scoring presence that Milwaukee would be lacking, and with Thon Maker in there, I mean you look at some of the bench units that he would sometimes do where it's like, you know, if, if, if Chris and and Eric are kind of out or something and it's, it's relying on Giannis to do it, you know, Giannis might be out there with like Jason Terry, Thon maker, uh, you know, Sterling Brown uh, and like Brandon Jennings or something. And then, and then it's, it's Thon maker in the middle. It's like, okay. Like, yes, theoretically, those are like guys who can shoot and sort of space the floor on Giannis. But, at the same time, there's still times where Giannis just gets completely flummoxed, and he has he has issues creating all the time, completely on his own. So I think it would be good for him to have a, at least a, a dancing partner in there to help him along the lines of Brooke Lopez. So maybe it is a matter of Brooke starting, and his minutes are 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 staggered somewhat with with Giannis. So he does he gets the pull around. You know, we'll see what Bud's rotation minutes are like. But if we just look what – I looked back at his his roster last year to get an idea of who was playing minutes per game. So Dwayne Demon had 24.9 minutes. Mike Muscala had 20 minutes a game. And granted, none of these guys played all 82 games. But then uh, – well, also, lo and behold, Miles Plumley had uh, 16.7 minutes last year as as part of them old friend Miles Plumley. So I think he he certainly has he certainly isn't wedded to one center as the guy who's who's going to be the guy. So I think you're right that it's going to be split up, but I I think it's I think it's important that Brook Lopez probably is is mainly in that starring role.
2: Yeah, it's and then in regards to John Henson, I think it's pretty obvious to you know us here and pretty much everybody else across the board that um, he's the totally finished product. Like who he is is who he is. And that's helpful in certain situations. And that doesn't mean that John's never going to see the court. I'm sure, you know, potential matchups, or if for whatever reason, you really need somebody who is a lot more skilled around the, uh, the basket and, you know, Brooke isn't available or you're relying on him a lot. John might, you know, still be able to fill in those kind of situations, but He's still around for two more years. If he was going to get traded, he would have gotten traded. So you're not trying to like, you know, jack up his trade value or anything like that. So I think it just makes the most sense for him to probably ride the pine. And I cannot imagine him going full rebellion on us, but may- maybe this is the year that breaks John Henson. If he doesn't see the court all that much.
0: Well, so here's an interesting question. Let's say Thonmaker gets the backup roll or whatever. He's averaging, you know, 14 to 18 minutes a game. Like at producing at I would let's say a slightly higher than last year level, so he he clearly is kind of looking having the same narrative that we had last year. How many games do you guys let like go before you pull the plug on that and just stick John Henson in there?
2: God, I don't even know.
0: <laughs> well, I, it's it's interesting though, right? Because it's hard to determine. Obviously, I'm all in favor of finding what you have with Thon and clearly the playoff glimpses have, have been awesome but i just don't i i'm just going off the far larger sample size of this this dude basically being trashed so far and i he clearly has a, a lot of potential there's lots of skills underneath there but if, if this guy is just running out zeros across the line and and making your team worse overall for you know 30 the first 30 games of the season i feel like you just kind of have to be like all right you gotta you gotta figure some stuff out you gotta just take a break sit go to the bench
1: yeah i was gonna say maybe 20 21 games because that's about a quarter of the season uh-huh. but it's tough i i don't know
2: you well know, and it- like part part of the issue is like the team is relatively light in terms of forward so like let's say for example like okay well we don't want to rely on john henson because you know he doesn't work well with Giannis out there because they both kind of clog up the paint. so maybe you're like oh well we'll put Giannis at the five as like a you know a makeshift arrangement to get through the periods where if thon's trying to figure it out or whatever the deal is but then like your backup is dj wilson for you know as one of the forwards so I, yeah i don't know it depends on really how strict bud is in terms of like holding onto the system that relies upon having a stretch five. If he's willing and able to kind of come up with a scheme on the fly, that's utilizes John Henson. Then I, I I wouldn't give Thon like, you know, the entire season to figure it out. Probably like uh, Kyle was saying, like 2030 ish games sounds about right.
0: Well, I mean, he did. I mean, he did have to do that that year. He had uh, Dwight Howard. So, I mean, he basically had to work around a guy who was getting about 30 minutes a game with a different, certainly a different skill set than John. But, I mean, you talk about some of the skills that John has, which were on cuts, uh, you know, basically playing off the off off ball from someone else. And some of those skills were somewhat similar to the kind of stuff that you would have expected Bud to try to leverage with Dwight. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it's definitely not a concern of whether or not Bud would be able to find a way to use them. And you know, maybe he'll even prefer using them over Thon, uh, even from like training camp or something along those lines, if uh, Thon is showing nothing at all. And John proves to be a reliable, like pressure release valve on the inside for whether it be the starting unit or the backups. But um, yeah, it, it, I'm sure Bud will be able to integrate them if that's, you know, break, break uh, glass in case of emergency kind of situation with John Henson. Oh.
0: Yeah, it'll be. I mean, it's so it's so curious. And well, and we also don't forget that Urson could be that backup forward too.
2: Um, yeah, to yeah, Giannis. I would assume if uh, if Urson and Giannis are playing simultaneously five. or something along gotcha. those lines, yeah. So this, I mean, there's definitely options to kind of get around, but. Um, if Thon isn't gonna work out this upcoming season, that leaves the Bucks in a little bit of a lurch, not only this season, but probably, you know, seasons upcoming because Brooke is only on a one year deal, John Henson is who he is, and then you know, unless Christian Goods get brought brought back out of the wilderness or something like that, I don't see what else they have going on for him at the five.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say if Thon can't figure it out, I don't I I would say it's probably best for Milwaukee to at least start shopping him. To see if you can get any salvage any value out of him, you know, around the trade deadline, maybe there's a team that, that will take a chance on him and give you, you know, even if it's just a second round pick and you know some wing or four, that's still be better than Saw so not figuring out the remainder of the season. Then you got to go into next year wondering the same kind of questions.
2: And the only other thing I would bring up when you know when thinking about the center rotation, um this is for everybody at home as well, is the fact that uh neither Thon nor Brooke are excellent rebounders like at all, um percentage wise. So uh and maybe that's not an issue because Milwaukee has been a horrific rebounding team for year after year at this point. So we're kind of used to it. But uh John is by far probably the most accomplished rebounder of the three. So if that's you know something that you find important then you kind of put that in your own arithmetic.
0: And I wouldn't expect that defensive rebounding issues to alleviate anytime soon bud really didn't place a much of a emphasis on that either in in atlanta his the hawks defensive rebounding percentage ranked by year going from last year to his his first year was 27th 19th 25th 22nd and 17th so you know that also ties back into the discussion that some people were having over The the coaching hire, I mean, Steve Clifford was clearly a guy who put a huge emphasis. I mean, Charlotte was almost every year on top of the defensive rebounding percentage, but is a guy who obviously doesn't care quite as much about that if you just look at the numbers that he's had over the years. So probably that probably won't be a huge factor in terms of deciding which center he's going to go with. So probably wasn't a huge issue when he was like, yeah, we should talk with Horst and was like, we should definitely get Brook Lopez. So we'll have to, you know, I think that's going to be one of the more interesting things to see how that shakes out particularly seeing how Thon does this year it was just so sorely disappointing last year to see him uh, f- flub and have issues all year
2: well i mean he got in the fist fight or whatever the knee fight you know in mm. a philippine game and now he's quoting himself in his own tweets so <laughs> Wait, i think we might be the, dealing with the whole what, was, what that? was that quote what was the quote he had <laughs> he said, here i can go and try and find it but if something along the lines so of i st- strike the fear of God in players, but I am not God. I believe there's something <laughs> along those lines. I'm totally paraphrasing, but, and then it was in quotation marks. And then he attributed to Thon Maker. So he quoted himself <laughs> in a tweet that he posted. It was really, I had no idea what to make of it. So yep. we're kind of dealing with a whole new Thon this off season.
1: Yeah. Here's the tweet. I strike fear into players hearts, but I'm not God. Thon there Maker, go. hashtag extra motivation, hashtag get this work.
2: <laughs> i have no idea what that even means what am i supposed to what are we supposed to make of that really
1: i, I like how greg said is he trying to become is he like pulling a michael scott that was one of my. Favorite. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, job, oh shout out greg we hope you're doing well tonight uh man thon maker what a what an interesting dude what an interesting dude yeah it'll be really curious to see what he does next year um, well, so that that about wraps it up. I feel like this will. I think this will probably be um, an interesting series for us to continue. We touched on it earlier, but I think the next big rotation that we should definitely discuss is the two guard, with so many people filing in there and, and talking about where they slot in, their salaries, what they showed, what potential they might have under Bud. I think I think that's going to be a really interesting discussion.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's uh there's a lot of move, a lot of moving parts there, and it, almost everybody like that's at the two could make a claim for having some sort of reason for playing, which is kind of similar to what went on with when I was looking through the centers as well. So, um, but there's a lot of choices ahead of them. It'll be interesting to see how he goes about it.
0: Yeah. Uh. All right. So let's let's touch on some last just organizational news. Obviously, the the biggest news that came out of this was that the new arena, the Wisconsin entertainment and sports center. Was it? way? Was it the Wisconsin Post sports and entertainment center?
2: The WEC. WEC- yeah. I have no idea. W- yeah.
0: okay. Yeah, well, right. yep. what it was before is now named the FISERV forum. Um, Nailed it. That's I was right. Okay. Cause my main, my main the thing I took umbrage with was the, the fact that I didn't know how to pronounce FISERV. I had, I had, actually not heard of it, which is probably just me being uh, not a good Wisconsinite, not staying in the loop of, of business going on. But what did you guys think right when you heard the, the shining new news that the arena would be called the FISER
1: forum? Kyle. Well, first I thought I was going to constantly call it the Fister forum because <laughs> I, I thought it was FISER was the pronunciation. So I'm kind of <laughs> glad that's not going to be a situation. Um, I mean, it's an arena name. I don't really particularly care. I'm not going to want to get into an argument on Twitter with someone on it. It's, I'm just happy there's a new arena in Milwaukee for the Bucks to play it for the next 25 years. That's really the best part about
2: it. So. I, uh, I was pleased as well. I thought it probably made sense for both sides. I was, I really like the fact that they went with forum as like the whatever as part of the title for it, because that leads to a lot of different nicknames. I saw a ton of people already come up with like the four one forum or just the forum. So I think there's a lot of possibilities with that. And then um, I don't know. I think it's cool that it's a Wisconsin company that not a lot of people have heard of. They do uh banking technology for the most part. So it kind of fits with them as well. Both like, For Pfizer, I should say, um, getting their name out there, and then because the Bucks or at least the new arena is like so VIP centric or like you know business people centric, maybe that's part of their um, reasoning as well as that Pfizer will be out there. But I don't know. I think it'll be cool, and it's. I think they said it's a twenty-five year agreement. Twenty-five years. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so it should theoretically, for at least the majority of the building's lifetime, uh, be that name so that's kind of cool as well that and it's a lot shorter to type that than uh bmo harris bradley center yeah. so thank god for that
0: very, very true yeah that's true uh let's see my rapid reactions uh can we can now call it the do, do we already say the forum on fourth street we can say that uh that's okay i like exciting. that too i like the tweet that i saw by someone apologies i don't remember who it is who said I was acting out someone who was inviting their friend to a box game and they're like, Hey, come over. And he was like, Oh, cool. Where, where are you at? And he's like, I'm at the Pfizer forum. And they're like, what? And they're like, I'm at the Bradley center. Oh, okay. I'll be right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so hopefully Pfizer forum can catch on. And I like that. It's orange. I like that. It's orange. I think that's Ooh. a great tie in with the Harley Davidson patches. Right. And the, as people now know who listen to this, the foolish people who thought the orange, was going to be the jersey color like me um i think that's a nice (laughs) nice nice, uh nice tie in there
1: um the court yeah Yeah, when i saw the when i saw the pictures of it i mean it just had like just the head in the center it said the pfizer form kind of at the top but then if you look on the like pretty much out of bounds section it had this green but it kind of looks like either it's a camouflage or there's like darker shades So that looked pretty cool. I, yeah. If anyone hasn't seen it, it does look like kind of like a forest almost, but it doesn't look like extra or extravagant or tacky.
2: I am so shocked that this team has never done the blaze orange hunter alternates or like some sort of gear like that. Like, doesn't that seem to make so much sense? This has got to be their bridge into that because they're just they're burning money by not doing that sort of thing.
0: They're orange. It's almost orange burning money. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> uh I So one of the, I, I mean, I, I guarantee you that's gotta be coming. And I know there has to be some tons of camo stuff out. That's like, I, I don't know. I just wouldn't get that stuff. But uh, other thing that I like is that it won't have to, it doesn't already have a name based on the benefactor. Shout out to the Bradley's for helping, uh, bring that arena into reality, but it won't have to age and have that extra sponsor tagged on. At least I Lord knows. I hope not. I hope it's I'm presuming this is exclusive naming rights and unless they find some way to get out of that and add an extra person on. So it'd be like the, the Culver's Pfizer forum and that kind of All stuff. Right.
1: Rocking with Cocos. Yeah. <laughs> Rocking <laughs> with those, <right. laughs>
0: uh, Uh, I do feel like Rocky Rococo's doesn't have a large presence in terms of of, of sports arenas. They're missing out. Right. Well, did you guys know the uh, guy who played Rocky who, who you guys know the the guy who there's a guy who played Rocky Rococo.
2: Yes. He's in the 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 pictures. pictures.
0: Yeah. So he passed away a few years ago, which was tragic. But have you guys ever heard his album that he recorded? What? Nope. So he recorded an album I think maybe in the early 2000s. I'll, I'll have to send it to you guys after this, but I recommend the listeners check out his his album. I'll put it in the article on Brew Hoop as well, but uh, The Magic Slice is one of my favorite tracks off that album. Listen to that many a time, so I highly recommend that as well. I know what I'm going uh, to <laughs> uh, Go ahead, Riley. Sorry.
2: Oh, no, I was just saying shout out to my boy Rocky. And what, my final thought on the arena is, yes, I appreciate that the Bradleys gave the city the arena but why did it have to be designed for hockey what like it's just it's so upsetting so i'm just glad that that's no longer going to be an issue and i'm excited to go see a game in there hopefully next season
0: me too well at least they even if it was designed for hockey at least they made it look really gorgeous on the outside
2: oh yeah Except for the roof.
0: <laughs> oh good work Damn i it. love love concrete um, okay. So then the other big news is the, the preseason schedule was initially announced. So Wednesday, October 3rd, uh, my brother's birthday, shout out brother. Uh, they face Chicago, <laughs> so they open it up. <laughs> they open it up against the Chicago bulls. Obviously there will be a lot of drama with Jabari Parker's return. i quite intrigued by that. Sunday, October 7th, they play at Minnesota Tuesday, October 9th at Oklahoma city. Then they close out the preseason Friday, October 12th versus the Timberwolves back at the FISERV forum. Uh, you guys you guys, jacked for preseason basketball yet?
1: I'm bummed <laughs> they're game in Madison again. <laughs> was, that was I one did. of the best parts was they had two years where they were in Madison. I was able to go, just walk over to the Kohl Center. And now the last, I think this year, last year and a meet. Yeah, I think the last two years now, they haven't done that. It's upsetting. That's just my one grievance.
2: I'm, uh, yeah. I'm a. Uh, sorry. Uh, I'm a little offended that they've never even though they don't go to Madison or they haven't gone to Madison, I'm a little offended they haven't gone to like Rhinelander or something like really good team out there, you know, <laughs> at a, they play, <laughs> play at like Hodag Memorial Stadium. Um, oh, and then secondarily God. in terms of excitement for preseason, I hope Jabari turns full heel. He just leans fully into it. And like when he comes back, you know, claims all credit for building the arena, like being the face of the campaign that got the arena past everything so I hope I hope he like coins it the house that I built or something like that. So hopefully that'll come around the corner.
0: Wow, that would be that would be incredible. I'm really hope Giannis plays in that first game and just absolutely destroys Jabari Parker. I think that would just be that would just be delightful to see because I, I think it would always been would have been curious to
2: see
1: how they played What were you saying, Kyle? I said I'm not looking forward to going on Twitter. Oh yeah, well
2: Twitter civil war.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. That
0: that's almost always the case. Um all righty. Well, I can't think of a whole lot else that's that's getting me all jazzed up about the Bucks right now. We're in a like you said, we're in a pretty pretty big dry spell here. Um, you know, I think uh, I think what we have to look forward to is, is preseason coming up, training camp's gonna open and we'll get to take a, a good hard look at Travis Trice and Brandon McCoy in those in those practice photos.
1: Hopefully, they yep. release the NBA schedule soon.
0: Yeah, I was gonna. Th- I was just gonna say. I'm hoping that comes out soon.
2: Hey, mm. final question for you guys: Is Brandon Jennings going to be on the team 24 hours from now?
1: No. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Did you say yes?
1: Yes. For some reason, <laughs> I just see them. Yeah.
0: So who, be do you, who, a, who do hell of
2: a hell of a turnaround?
0: Uh, who do you think they're getting rid of? DJ.
2: Oh,
1: God. That's we'll okay. Help. All we'll right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Jesus>. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, like the I, only I thing so on the crazy. roster people would be Man, okay was with getting ready. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think they should keep Brandon Jennings. I just feel like he will somehow survive just like how John Anson has somehow survived being a Milwaukee buck.
0: <sighs> All right. Well, there's your prediction. Kyle Carr, uh, depressingly. Saying he thinks Brandon Jennings will, will somehow remain on this team like, like like some sort of roster cockroach. So we'll uh, <laughs> we'll we'll move on. We'll move on out. Uh, why don't you guys pimp out your Twitter handles, Riley? You first.
2: Uh, at Riley Feldman. Uh, if you look around for me at hoop, you'll find it easy enough. The spelling.
1: And Kyle. I am at Kyle Koche. So. Kyle Koche.
0: Cool. Uh, I'm at Adam R Paris. Uh, you can check out all of our stuff on brew Uh, Greg is actually running this pretty cool tournament to try and determine the best box team of all time using this, using simulation software. So I highly recommend checking that out. That's been one of my favorites lately. Uh, Riley's piece of course about the center rotation, anything Kyle does as well. He's working on some big stuff that I'm excited for. And, uh, we hope you like us and, review us on itunes and everything and we'll be back again in about two weeks or so um, so thanks again for listening
1: whoa shooting crap in vegas leon lost it all but scraped up enough simoles to make that special call he ordered up a pizza had the magic slice now they're handing over mega bucks each time he touches it dice you tell me life is tough and then you put on ice. Sounds like you never had a taste of the magic slice. Waste your time on wondering why folks don't treat you nice. Sounds like you never had a taste of the magic slice.